Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. Amen. Awesome, man. Thank y'all. Goodness gracious alive. What an awesome time of singing to the Lord. Singing to the Lord. Back in April of 1962, um, the renowned theologian, a guy named Karl Barth, uh, kind of like the big dog theologian back in that day, uh, he was giving a lecture at the University of Chicago, and uh, after he finished, he had a Q&A time, question and answer. Somebody asked him, a student asked him, a young person asked him, said, uh, Dr. Bart, could you sum up your theology in just a few words, kind of your, you know, your whole, and I mean, we're talking about this guy's, I mean, just his, his intellect and his, his grasp of theological things is so deep and so wide-ranging. The guy asked him, says, can you sum it up in just a few words? And he said, yes, I can. This is how I'd sum it up. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Isn't that it? I mean, that's it. That's what it's all about. I mean, all, the, all, of, all of the theology, all of the doctrine, all of this is summed up in that, that Jesus loves me, and I know that, because this Word tells me that. And everything that we have sung this morning is all about Jesus, because this day is our day. I mean, every Sunday is. That's why we celebrate, uh, that's why we worship on Sunday every week, is because every Sunday is Easter Sunday for us. Every Sunday is Resurrection Day for us. Every Sunday is the opportunity for the church to come together and go, our God, our Jesus is alive and He is our Savior. That's every Sunday. But this is just the Sunday that we set aside once a year to really, <laughs> to really say it. I mean, this is it. That the, the, the most awesome, most wonderful, most incredible, most unbelievable Savior of the world came and died on the cross for us and God gave His one and only Son that we just said so that we could have eternal life. Man, Jesus, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He was and He is the perfect Son of God. He was and He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He, he is who the prophet Isaiah wrote about in Isaiah chapter 53, 700 years before Jesus came, God spoke through, spoke to and spoke through the prophet Isaiah and Isaiah 53 about this one who is known as the suffering servant. Now I remember, I don't know, I, I, I know as a kid, at some point I came to the realization that Isaiah 53 was talking about Jesus. And I don't know if it was my mama told me that or if I heard a Sunday school teacher or something. I don't know when it was. But at some point in my young life, I came to the realization that Isaiah chapter 53 is talking about Jesus. And when you go back and look at that, this is way back over in the middle of the Old Testament before we ever get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that talk about Jesus. Hundreds of years before Jesus came, the prophet Isaiah said about Him that He was despised, and re- about this suffering servant, said He was despised and rejected of men. Well, that's exactly what Jesus was despised and rejected of men. The prophet Isaiah said that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The prophet Isaiah said 
He was pierced for our transgressions. Yes, absolutely He was. They, they, uh, 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 an evangelist guy that came to my, our church in Country Woods one time, he just said this, and it just, just this one poignant statement. He said, Jesus Christ was smashed to a cross for us. And He was. And they pounded, they pierced His hands and His feet and His head with the crown of thorns and they ripped His back open and His body open with the cat of nine tails as they scourged Him. And by His stripes we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He, he was the, uh, the punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. Matt said that at the beginning of the service. And by His wounds we are healed. There's one thing I know about every person in this room. There's a lot of stuff I don't know about you. I don't know where you was born. I don't know when your birthday is. I don't know when your anniversary is. I don't know your favorite food and stuff like that. But there's one thing I know about every person in here. Every person in this room is sick. Every person in this room is sick. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about physical illness, though some of us do. Maybe you do have some chronic illness or condition that you deal with, or you, you've been sick. Or, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that every person in this room has a sickness, and that sickness is called sin. We all have a sin sickness. And only the wounds of Jesus will heal that, that sickness. Nothing else. There's no doctor in the world that can heal that sickness. Only Jesus can. And then the prophet Isaiah started talking about you and me. And he said this. He said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. On Jesus. Even though you and I turned to our own way. You know why people do that? Because we don't think this book really matters. Folks say, well, you know, that's just an old book. It's just, I mean, it's old. You know, how are you going to believe it? I mean, your God's not. I saw some guy make a comment on an Instagram reel that I, I was watching this past week, and he made a comment and talked about us Christians, you Christians, and your God. And he used a little g. There is no God. Y'all, y'all pray to this God. And you heard people saying after the Nashville shooting, guess y'all weren't praying enough now. You Christians weren't praying enough, were you? And these kids got killed because y'all weren't, apparently y'all weren't praying enough. And so we, people turn to their own way because they think their way is better than God's way. We think we're smarter than God. We think we're smart enough to figure out how to live our lives. We think we're intelligent enough and, to be able to figure out how to live our lives. Well, you know what this book does say about that? This book does say, yeah, there is a way. There is a way that you can live your life. That's what this book says. Read that verse just this past week. There is a way that seems right unto a man or a woman, to people. There's a way that seems right. I think we got it figured out. The Bible goes on to say, but that way ends up in death. 
Yeah, you, it may seem right to you. You think you got it figured out. Everything's going good. You got money in the bank. You got a nice house, nice car, nice job, nice kids, nice wife, nice husband. Everything seems to be nice right now. So apparently I got this thing figured out. So I'm just going to keep on going my way. Go on, bro. Go on your way if you want to. But in the end, that way is going to end in death. There is a way. Jesus, the prophet Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. But even when we were doing that, even when we were turning our back on Him and, turning our, and going our way instead of His way, God still said, I'm going to lay all your sins on Him. And I'm going to give you the possibility of eternal life. Because He loves us. Man, we're talking about Jesus. This is all about Jesus. It's simply all about Jesus. Man, I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the government says. And the government's saying a whole lot more than it used to say. But I don't care. We're never going to stop. We're never going to stop proclaiming the life-changing gospel news, good news about Jesus. The news that all of us who are Christians should be rejoicing in today and the news that some of you need to respond to today. The good news about Christ. I don't care how people ridicule us. I don't care how they ostracize us and marginalize, marginalize us and try to discredit us and try to discredit our gospel and our message. And they're doing that and they're going to keep doing it more and more and more, more aggressively, more pressurous, more, more viciously, more intentionally, more and more against this church. Don't stick your head in the sand and pretend like that stuff ain't going to happen here in the little Florida, Mississippi. We don't live in some little bubble that you can kind of pull your little chicks up close to you and ain't nothing going to happen to them. That's wrong. That is not right. The battle is here now. Yeah, we may not have people parading in the streets like other places and may not have drag queens up in our schools and all kinds of crazy, vicious, horrible, evil stuff happening all over the place. But does your kid have a cell phone? Is your kid on Instagram? Is your kid on TikTok? Then it's already in their face. It's here. But I don't care. I don't care how much they push against us. We're going to keep proclaiming this message. We're going to keep proclaiming this message because it's all about Jesus. We're going to, we're going to magnify Him. We're going to glorify Him. We're going to make much of Him. I'm just telling you, that's what we're going to do because I'm telling you, we're going to wake up. We're going to spend time with Him in the morning. We're going to talk to Him all throughout the day. And then when we lie down at night, if you know Christ, when you lie down at night, you can sleep in peace knowing He's holding you in the palm of His hand. If you don't, if you don't know Christ, you have no peace. I'm just telling you, it's all about Jesus. He is our Lord. He is our Lord, which means He calls the shots. He calls the shots in every area of our lives. He has the authority to tell you and me how we spend our time, how we spend our money. He has the authority to tell us how to treat our spouses, how to rear our kids, how to operate our businesses, how to relate to our friends, how to relate to our enemies. He is Lord. He calls the shots, not you and me. He is our Savior. He is our Master. Which means that we willingly and joyfully give our lives to Him to serve Him. He's our Savior. Which means that when we call out to Him in faith, He rescues us from the clutches of Satan. He takes us off that wide road that we're traveling on that leads to hell. And He puts us on into the grip of God 
and onto that narrow road that leads to life. That's our Savior. That's all about Jesus. So that's what we're doing today. We're talking about Jesus. So grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 19, verses 28 through 31. (laughs) John chapter 19, verse 28 through 31. I'm laughing because I just glanced at my watch. Would you stand please? Let's read these three verses of Scripture. I hope you got your Bible with you. If not, try to look on with somebody or get it on your phone. John chapter 19, verse 28. It says, after this, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, pay attention to that word, said to fulfill Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a, a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, say it with me, church, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. May God bless the reading of His perfect Word this morning. Let's pray. Father, help us now. Holy Spirit, teach us. Help us. Just do Your work. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. Alright, so y'all hang on. Let's go. John 19.30 is one of seven statements that Jesus made from the cross. Seven statements that Jesus made from the cross. Let's run through them real quickly. Matthew 27.46 Jesus hanging on the cross. He cried out with a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he do that? It was because at that moment, the weight of the sin of entire humanity was placed upon him by his father, and his father had to turn away from his son. So Jesus said, God, why have you forsaken me? So he said that. Next thing he said, Luke 23, 34, he looked down at the foot of the cross. He saw the guys gambling for his clothes making a mockery of what he was going through and the humiliation of him hanging there on the cross. And he looked down and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Even in the last moments of his life, he was still pouring out forgiveness. Right As his blood was pouring out, forgiveness was pouring out even for the guys around the foot of the cross. That's amazing. That's amazing. In Luke 23, 43... He looked, he's hanging there on the cross, two thieves on either side of him, one of them cursing and railing against him. The other one said, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, y'all, right, sometime before Jesus hung on the cross, he said these words. He said, I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. So even in the last moments of his life, before he breathed his last, one of the last things he did was to look and say, I'm going to save you. I have been seeking you. Right up to this moment, and we're hanging here together on these crosses, and today you're going to be with me in paradise. That's an incredible Savior right there. That's an amazing Savior right there. John 19, 26 and 27, right before our passage of Scripture that we looked at, Jesus looked down and He saw His mama standing there. He saw Mary standing there, and He saw the Apostle John standing beside her. Looked down and He said, Woman, behold your son. And looked at John and said, Son, behold your mother. Even in the last, again, in the last moments of his life, the compassion of his heart moved to, toward his own mama. I'm a mama's boy. I understand that. He was taking care of mama. He was making sure that when he was dead and gone, which was going to happen here in just a matter of seconds, that his mama was going to be taken care of. That's, that's, that's incredible. It's unbelievable. And right before he, that we just read, he looked, he just said these words, I thirst. And, and then you see what it said there, verse 20, it said that was to fulfill Scripture. Why would that even be in there? Well, he was thirsty. He was suffering from extreme dehydration from everything that he had been through. 
So he took that sour wine and stuck it up there to his sponge. He took a little sip of it. And here's the point of that. You see, Jesus' life and ministry had fulfilled Old Testament prophecy all the way through, even right up to this very tiny moment where he just said two little words, I thirst, I thirst. And Psalm 69, 21 says, I was given gall as my food and vinegar as my drink. And so he had to make sure that every last one of the prophecies about him was fulfilled. And so when they stuck that sponge up there and he took a little sip, he fulfilled that last prophecy. And then he said in John 19.30, it is finished. It's the next saying. He said, the next statement, he said, was, it is finished. He said, it's done. It's paid in full. It's done. It's accomplished. And then you look at Luke chapter 23, verse 46. It says, Jesus calling out with a loud voice, looked up and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last and he was gone. So you, you, know, you know what you need to understand about that statement right there? Nobody took Jesus' life from him. He willingly gave it. He said, I commit my spirit into your hands. I've done everything that I've... It is finished. I've done everything that the Father has said for me to do. Even though right before I went to the cross, I, I sweat drops of blood and said, Father, if there's any way, if there's any way possible, you can let this cup pass from me. Please let it, let it pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And so the will of the Father was to crush Him on that cross. And so He had done everything He was supposed to do. It is finished. And so now, Father, I've done everything You told me to do. I've been completely, perfectly obedient to You, God. I've suffered and I'm dying now. And now I commit my spirit into Your hands. And nobody took His life from Him. He gave His life. And so the application for this message today is that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection gives us hope in this life and in the life to come. Because see, when He said, it is finished in John 19.30, He said those, in the English it's three words. But it's actually just one Greek word. It's the Greek word, I think we've got a, a, a slide with it. That word right there, tetelestai. One Greek word means it is finished. There's two places in the New Testament where that word is used. Only two places, and guess what? Both of them are used in our passage today. In verse 28 there, I told you to pay attention to that. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, He had taken the last sip of the wine, He had done everything that He was supposed to do, all was now tetelestai. That's that word. All was accomplished. I've taken even that last little sip of wine. Everything is done now. Everything is completely done now. Everything is tetelestai. So He did tetelestai, and then He said tetelestai. It is finished. The debt is paid in full. It's complete. It's accomplished. We said the word accomplished in one of the songs we sang. It is accomplished. It is complete. The mission is done. The debt is paid in full. That, that Greek word, tetelestai. Merchants and business people in the New Testament times, if you went into a store and you, maybe you had an account at that store and you had a bill you needed to pay. You go in and pay the bill, they slide the receipt across from you, uh, across to you, and the, the, the store owner writes the word to telestai across your bill, uh, across your receipt, and hands it to you. In other words, your debt is paid in full, and that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He paid our debt in full. And so when he died on the cross, it is finished. He went into the tomb, and then he rose from the grave. We can now confidently and excitedly and ecstatically proclaim these three truths. Number one, our Savior is alive. 
Our Savior is alive, church. Amen? He is alive. Psalm tw- I'm sorry, John 20, verse 1. Look at that. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now that's John's version of the resurrection. You go to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And all three of them say those words that we have posted on Facebook and Instagram and social media and have said this morning, He is risen! He's not here! He is risen! That's what the angels told the ladies when they came to the tomb. Now let me tell you what they didn't say. They didn't say, He's not here, and we don't know where He is. You don't see that. You don't see him say, he's not here and they've done something with his body and we don't, we don't know what's going on here. That's not what the angels said. Because the angels, you know this, but angels are God's messengers. That's what the Greek word angel, angelos, angel means, messenger. So the message that God the Father sent the angel to come to tell those women and to tell you and me today is that he ain't here He is risen. He's alive. That's the message that we proclaim. He's alive. Our Savior is alive. The Roman soldiers may have sealed the tomb, but Jesus' resurrection sealed our salvation. And so we celebrate that today, man. He's alive. There's a a pilgrimage that people do each year up on a mountain in Italy. They go up this mountain and they go to a place where there's a, a shrine with a crucifix with Jesus still hanging on the cross. Which, by the way, I don't think you ought to have a cross hanging in your house that's still got Jesus hanging on the cross because He ain't there anymore. So that's just, I just don't think. So they go to this crucifix, this place where Jesus is still hanging on the cross, and they go there and they think about Jesus down on the cross. Well, one tourist got there one day and he noticed there was a little worn, you know, kind of a trail that led off away from that shrine down into the woods. So he said, well, let me see where this goes. So he wandered off down this trail and he went down there and got out in the woods and found this other little shrine that represented the tomb, the resurrection, the empty tomb. But unfortunately, that shrine was all covered up with weeds and bushes that had grown up. It had been neglected. But here's the point I want to make to you. The reality is, is if you stop at the cross and you don't go onto the tomb, you've missed the whole story. Don't neglect the tomb. Because if the, if the grave, if Jesus is still there, or if He was still hanging on the cross, we'd have no hope. If there was not a resurrection, listen to this y'all, if there was not a resurrection, we would be no different than any other world religion. You understand that? That's why people, that's why they hate us so bad. Jesus said, man, they hated me, they're going to hate you. We talked about that last week in the high priestly prayer in John 17. He said, if they hate me, they're going to hate, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. So Christians, just get ready to be hated. You know why? It's because we do proclaim that, yes, we're the only ones who have the real answer. We're the only ones who have the living Savior. Well, y'all are so narrow-minded. Yeah, yeah, we are. Because there ain't but one way, and it's a narrow way. So yeah, you're right, we are narrow-minded. And it's only about Jesus. Well, what about all those other religions? They're wrong. <laughs> they're, they're, they're wrong. We're the only ones that have the truth. His name is Jesus. It's, a, it's all about Jesus. 
And if you take away the empty tomb, and you take away the living, risen Savior, our Savior is alive, you take that away, we're just like every other world religion. But we ain't like every other world religion. Because our Savior ain't like anybody else in the entire universe. So the living Savior, the risen Savior means, that the empty tomb means, it is finished, went in the tomb, rose from the grave, our Savior is alive. Secondly, it tells us that our victory is assured. Our victory is assured. In John chapter 14, verse 19, you don't have to look at that right now just because we don't have time to do that, but John 14, 19, Jesus said this one little statement in the middle of that verse. He said, because I live, you too will live. Because I live, you also will live. In other words, He's saying to us, because He came out of the grave, then we too are going to come out of the grave. Because He lives, we too will live forever. That's what He's saying to us, that our victory is assured. I want you to understand something. There are a whole lot of people, there are a whole lot of people who are coming hard against us. And when I say us, I'm talking about Christians who are passionately living for Jesus. There's a lot of folks coming hard against us and looking for every way that they can to undermine us and to ostracize us. And that's just going to keep on happening, y'all. It's going to get more and more vicious, more and more intentional the closer we get to the return of Christ. The Bible tells us that. It tells us in Revelation that the closer we get to the return of Christ, the angrier Satan gets. How many of you sense that Satan's just getting more and more angry the days go by? But I'll tell you something. I, no matter what happens, what we will be able to proclaim, I've got news for them and I've got news for Satan. We're going to win. We're going to win. Our victory is assured. Jesus has promised us total and complete victory. He hadn't said you're not going to have struggles. In fact, He said you are going to have struggles. But He said even in the midst of those struggles, you will have complete victory over everything. Over what? Over all of your fears. Victory over all of your fears. Now if we would just get real honest, there'd be some folks in this room today that say, you know what, I'm kind of scared. Now we don't want to say that because we don't want to seem, you know, we don't we want to be macho and we want to say, oh, well, if you if you got fear, then you ain't got faith. But I'll just tell you something. There's some stuff that scares me, and I have to talk to the Lord about it a lot because I do get anxious and get concerned and get worried. Some of my grandkids are sitting in this room right now, and I'm concerned for them. Can I get a witness? Anybody else with me on that? Your kids and your grandkids, you get worried about it. You see all the junk that is happening in our world, all the stuff that they're being exposed to now, and then you go, but what is it going to be like five years from now, ten years from now, fifteen years from now? You just go, if it's bad now, how can it get any worse? It's going to get worse. But here's the deal. We need to understand that when Jesus showed up here, hey, it's Easter, but let's talk about Christmas for just a second. Can we, I'm, not being, I'm not being schizophrenic here. I'm just, I, but just, I know it's Easter, but let's talk about Christmas for a minute. You remember the first thing that the angels said to the shepherds? They were in the same country, shepherds keeping watch over the flock by the night. Lord, an angel of the Lord appeared, and then the glory of the Lord shone around about them. They were sore afraid. And what, the, what was the first thing the angel said? Fear not. Fear not. The first thing that somebody that the angel said to the guys when Jesus, you ain't got to be afraid anymore because your Savior is here. Your Savior's here. You don't have to be afraid. And he says that to us too. 
When we look at all the stuff, when we get freaked out about what's going on in our nation, I ain't talking about somewhere over, you know, well, that's never going to affect. I'm talking about right here in the United States of America. God bless America, one nation under God. I'm talking about this nation. I mean, we, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm your Savior. I'm here. I'm alive. So he said that at the beginning. And then when he left, when he got ready to leave, death, burial, resurrection, right before he ascended back, he gathered up his disciples. You remember what he said to him? He said, hey, hang on, guys. I'm going to send power. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit, He is going to give you everything that you need. So you don't have to be afraid. And then he said to them right before he left, he said, and I will be with you when? Always. That means right now. Victory over our fears. Victory over our failures. Victory over our failures. Some of you in this room feel like that you have messed up so bad. You have failed in so many ways. You have failed so horribly that there is no way that God could love you, no way that God could save you, and certainly no way that God could use you. Can I tell you? He loves you. And there is nothing that you have done that would keep Him from loving you and saving you and using you. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Listen to this. You, some of you have heard this before. Listen to this. Jacob, I'm, let's talk about Bible people. People that were in the Bible. Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper and denied Jesus. David had an affair. Noah got drunk. Uh, Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Samson was a womanizer. Miriam was a gossip. Uh, Rahab was a prostitute. Martha was a worrier. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was depressed. Moses stuttered and lacked self-control. Zacchaeus was a crook. Abraham lied. And James and John were prideful. And yet Jesus died for every one of them and every one of their failures and used every one of them, which means He died for every one of you, every one of your failures, and He wants to use every one of you. Victory over your fears. Fear not. I'm with you always. Victory over your failures. There's no failure that, that knocks you out completely forever. And then victory over your future. Victory over your future. The great Greek philosopher Socrates, about 400 years before Jesus showed up, Socrates was lying there dying. He had been poisoned. He was about to die. And he was considered the greatest thinker of his time. And somebody said to Socrates, right before he died, said, will we live again? And the great Socrates said, I hope so, but no man can know. I got a word for Socrates. Wrong. You can know. You can know. We will live again because Christ is alive, which leads us to the last point that He will also, our victory, our Savior is alive, our victory is assured, and our heavenly home awaits. Our heavenly home awaits. You see that passage of Scripture? John 14, 1-6, you know it. You've heard it. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You see there again, He says, look, I know you're getting freaked out. I know you're afraid. I know there's a lot of stuff going on. He said, but don't let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in Me, because in My Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places, many rooms. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you this. And then He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, 
I will come again to get you so that you can be where I am. He said, man, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Friday, I left here. Been a few weeks since I've been to Cleveland. Most of y'all know I grew up in Cleveland. Mama still lives there. Been a few weeks since I've been to Cleveland. Got to go see Mama. Getting close to getting on Mama's bad list because I ain't been there in a few weeks. Can I get a witness? Y'all have been on your Mama's bad list. That ain't a good list to be on. So I knew I needed to get to Cleveland. I wanted to go see her anyway. I needed to get my eyes on her and talk to her and see her. And sure enough, walking in, she had a list this long of things I needed to do for her when I got there. And so we started doing that. But here's the deal. I got to Cleveland, pulled into the 1114 Lamar Street, Cleveland, Mississippi. Pulled into the driveway, got out of my truck, walked up to the door, opened the door, walked in. I didn't have to knock on the door. I didn't have to ask for permission to come in. I walked right in. Why? Because it's home. Because it's home. 55 years ago, my daddy, we showed up in Cleveland, Mississippi, and my daddy bought a house and paid for it so that I would have a place to live. Because he loved his family, he bought a house and paid for that. I didn't pay for it, he paid for it. So that I'd have a place to live. I didn't pay for it, daddy paid for it. But because I have his name, and because I belong to his family, because my last name is Daniels, which was his last name, that home was my home. And I had the joy and the authority to be able to just walk right into that home because my daddy made sure I had a home. And he gave it to me. But even greater than that, 2,000 years ago, <laughs> Jesus died on the cross for me. And He went into a grave. He shed His blood for me. And He said, it is finished. It's paid for. It's done. Everything's done. Nothing else has got to be done. It's done. It's paid for. And He came out of that grave and He went back to the throne of the Father and He started working on a home for me. And I couldn't... I didn't, I didn't pay for that home. I couldn't pay for that home. I couldn't buy that house. Only Jesus could buy that house. I didn't deserve to live there. I don't deserve to live there. He gave me a home. He gave me a room in that house just because He loves me. And because He loves me. And He said to me, if you'll place your faith and trust in me, I will give you that home. And so I did. And He did. When I said yes to Christ, He gave me a place in, in His eternal heavenly home. And look, I'm not going to show up and get to come into that home because I've tried to live a decent life now. I've tried to do the best I can do. I try not to sin too much. I try to go to church every time I, you know, every, every now and then. I show up on Easter for sure, but you know, I'm trying, I try to do the best I can. I'm not going to show up in my, and get into the house because he's going to go, well, let me see. You, know, let me, you went to church this many times, and let me check your report card here. I said, you know what? You did pretty good. Come on in. If you're counting on that, you're going to hell. Do you hear me? You ain't got a home there if you're counting on that. I'm not going to show up there and get into that home because I'm, going to, because I'm following the teachings of Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius. I, I, I'm going, the only way I'm going to get in there is because Jesus Christ Himself said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. 
And no one will come to the Father and no one will get into the Father's home except they come through Me. So here's the deal. Wrap this thing up. Are you going to get into that home? Well, I think so. Isn't that what... It's kind of sort of like what Socrates said. What? No man can really know, I, I think. You can know so. Some of us here do. We know that we have a heavenly home that awaits us. My daddy. <laughs> who made sure that I had 1114 Lamar Street. He's in that home now. I get to see him again. Others. And I want to see every one of you too. If you need to come to Jesus today, if you'll come, man, the Savior who is alive, just come to Him. Your victory will be assured. Your home will await you if you'll come to Christ alone today. So I just simply invite you. Come on. He's waiting for you. I go and prepare a place for you. Come to Jesus today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. So Father, help us today, Lord, during these moments of invitation. Father, you know those in this room that need Jesus and want to be saved and need to be saved today. So I pray right now, Father, for whoever's in this room, whoever's watching this service right now, God, or whoever, whoever may watch this service in the days to come, for those who need Christ and need to be saved, that today is the day. Today is the day. What an incredible Easter celebration it would be to be able to come to Christ and be saved today. So if that's you, I invite you right now to cry out to Him, to call out to Him and be saved today. That's what the Bible says you have to do. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. So you can do that right now by just saying to Him from your heart, Lord Jesus, You are alive. You are the Savior. And I want You to be my Savior now. So I invite You into my heart. I ask You to save me right now. I turn from my sins. And I trust You alone. Save me, Jesus. And help me to live for You for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, Amen.